This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP, the federal leader in retirement planning seminars, sponsored by WEPA. Join NITP for an hour of plain talk on planning your future. You've got questions, they've got answers. Good morning and welcome to the October 31st, 2022 For Your Benefit radio show. I'm Bob Lines, and joining us today is Ray Kirk. Ray is a federal benefit specialist, retired Fed, and seminar presenter. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Bob, and happy Halloween. All right, and uh, Ray, are you dressed up for Halloween? No, I think I'm going to skip the costume this year. All right, and Jay Fritz. Jay is a program manager, outreach and program services, healthcare and insurances. U.S. Office of, of Personnel Management. Wow, that's a long-winded title. Yes, it is. And I'm also glad to be here today, Bob and Ray, and also I am not in costume. Okay. <laughs> and, and you're going to stay that way all day, huh? That's the plan. Okay, so uh, um, I guess the first question, if, if I was um, uh, fed, I was one for a while. Um, um how, how, how much can I uh, contribute to um, these uh, opportunities? I mean, is there a limit on, on what I can do with like flexible spending accounts and whatnot? Yeah, well, we'll start with flexible spending accounts. That's all we try to promote flexible spending accounts. It's one of our not very underutilized programs, but it doesn't get the numbers we like. There's a good bit of savings. I participate, save lots of money doing it. So we always try to promote FSA feds every time we get the opportunity to uh, to spread the word of open season. So uh, you can contribute. First of all, a lot of people already participate in FSA feds. So we just want to remind everybody of carryover. So if you participate in FSA feds for 2022 and you don't use all your funds in 2022, you can carry over. And this increase just came out from the IRS. You can carry over up to $610 from 2022 to 2023. So we don't want to see people lose their money. So in order to use that carry, of course, you have to re-enroll for 2023. You do that uh, at uh, fsafeds.com. Um, but the contributions for 2023 for a uh, healthcare savings account is a minimum of $100. So we always encourage people new to FSA feds. If you're afraid to jump completely into the pool, you can stick your toes in at about $100. That's a minimum contribution. And if you have a lot of medical expenses that you plan on using, the maximum now for 2023 contribution, $3,050. So... Uh, a good bit of money can be saved there, so we always encourage people to uh, to take FSA feds. Do you find uh, the, the demand is on the uptick? Is it status quo, or people are happy and they just say, I'll stay with it? The percentage of people that change, uh, I understand, is not huge, but it isn't teeny. Correct. For FEHB, we normal trends it's about the same each year it's relatively around four to five percent of people change plans during open season not the numbers we would like to see uh we would you know think people probably should do some more shopping take advantage of some of the opportunities that you have in order to change plans change options even change enrollment type but 
generally it's it's consistently that unless there's a big event you know like a new plan adding a new option or you know a couple years ago we rolled out self plus one enrollment type and we saw a spike that year but other than that eh, normally around four or five percent is about what we're going to see yeah, Jay, right. you know, one of the one of the points you kind of you touched on when you're just giving your recap a couple of minutes ago about fsa is a bit of big difference in FSAs is that re they require annual re-enrollment versus in the FEHB program. If you don't do anything, you just carry over your plan. So could you just kind of go back and highlight that through? Sure, more than happy to, Ray. So as Ray was pointing out, the difference is in FEHB, your enrollment is going to continue unless, of course, you need to watch out for plans that drop out of the program or plans that may drop an enrollment code of, of service area, or they may drop an option, your enrollment's gonna continue. My enrollment of Blue Cross and Blue Shield just keeps rolling along every year. Even also FedVIP, the Federal Employees Dental and Vision Insurance Program, um, enrolled in a dental plan that's going to continue every year. It's not an issue. And if I had a vision plan, which I don't, that's going to continue. But you know, Ray brings up a pretty, very good point. FSA feds are different. You have to actively enroll each year. Your enrollment will not continue. So that's something we always emphasize. Two things. One, people should strongly consider participating in FSA feds if they're not. And reminders to those that are currently participating for 2023 that they must re-enroll for 2022, sorry, that they must re-enroll for 2023. What if they don't uh, re-enroll because they didn't know they had to? then they will not have an FSA Fed for 2023. Whatever okay. carryover they have left, that money's gone. You can't carry it over without re-enrolling for 2023. They just wouldn't have a flexible spending account for 2023. Okay. All right. Now, over the years, have you found people are, are more inclined to want to know before, or does the percentage just kind of stay the same and there's a group or there's an, you know, I, I forget the percentage, um, uh, stays relatively consistent. Correct me if I'm wrong. For FSA feds? Yeah. Relatively consistent. So for 2022, we had uh, just about 475,000 people, uh, federal employees were enrolled in FSA feds. And we do want to give a reminder, FSA feds, flexible spending accounts are for employees only, they're not for annuitants. Um, that's the way the IRS rules are written. So we're holding steady around 475. Sounds like a lot of people, but you know, almost what 1.8 million federal employees. That's why we said it's a little bit underutilized. We really would like to see higher numbers in FSA feds because if you think about $100 minimum contribution, there's you know everyone's going to have some type of health care expenses um, during the year. It's really I hate to use the word no brainer, but there's really not much downside. I know a lot of people are worried about uh, losing the use or lose that if they don't use it all, if they have more at the end of the year than the 610, they can be carried over. That's why there's a hundred hour minimum. Like we said, you know, to kind of get your toes wet, go in there, you know, underestimate a little bit. Uh, I've always have underestimated for my FSA expenses and every year I end up burning them up early in the year. Um, so yeah, every, everyone's going to have some type of expenses that, Again, why we encourage everyone to at least consider FSA feds. Yeah, that's it. You just use the phrase "burn it up" early in the year. Could you go over and explain how that you don't have to actually have all the contributions because it's by payroll deduction. So you don't have to have contributed. Say, if you have a two thousand dollar 
dental bill or something that you, that you don't have to wait until whatever that would be two thirds of the correct. way through the year before you had $2,000 in your account. That's correct. So if you set aside for argument's sake, $2,000 for 2023, once 2023 gets here, that $2,000 is there. And I'm, I'm a perfect case of that with my wife's um, diabetes and, you know, just going to the doctor myself. I think last year or this year, I think we had used up our money by like May or something. We had pretty much used up everything that we had allocated. And I'm one of those people that, you know, I don't want to give something back. Don't want to lose it. Each year, I fear what my estimate's going to be. I've never maxed out my FSA feds. Always coming, well, could do this and she might get better. And I may not have to go to the doctor for this. And each year I easily um, use up all the amount that I allocate. Do you find that uh, your compatriots uh, do the same? In other words, they maximize the opportunity? I don't really know what my cohorts at, at OPM do. I know a lot of them do participate in FSA feds. There, I may be a little bit more risk adverse than others are, or maybe typical, I don't know. Um, but, you know, we do provide the ability that you don't have to, you don't have to have a minimum that's going to put you at risk of losing. So. Um, Ray, really kind of hard to say. Ray, with all the webinars that, that you do, do you find sometimes surprisingly so, you can't say it in front of the class, you'd say, you didn't know that? Are there certain areas where you feel that um, a good percentage of the class didn't know something that maybe, you know, we felt they should? Well, I think the, the point that Jay has mentioned about the ability to carry over, that uh, people remember back, Somehow it just seems to be ingrained. The initial rules for flexible spending accounts were that you, uh, if you didn't spend it in the plan year, you lost lost it. And then there was that window that went to uh, March 15th, if I remember correctly. So you, so you had an extra few months to spend the money. And then but it's maybe as long as a decade that we've had the rollover, but some number of years we've had the rollover or carryover, whatever the actual phrase is, where people have that great flexibility that uh, – Know six hundred dollars. So if you just if you were to just uh, as Jay suggested, uh, start out with a small amount. I always point out to people who emphasize that a uh, hundred dollars a year. So essentially, if you do four dollars a pay period, you're talking a hundred and four dollars. And there's no one that's going to notice four dollars on a pre-tax basis out of their paycheck. And I also. As Jay pointed out, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't spend $100 on allowable expenses during the year. I mean, uh, I was, was thinking about it as we are getting ready for the show. And one of the things that struck me is a big difference between flexible spending accounts as a benefit and the other insurance benefits. So insurance benefits, you're spending, uh, you pay the premium, and effectively you hope that you have, uh, you're betting that you have more expenses than you're paying in premiums. With flexible spending accounts, you always win. You're always going to get back 100% of the money you put in, and then you have the tax savings on it. That's essentially the benefit of a flexible spending account is the money got, comes out of your pay on a pre-tax basis, and so then you have 100% of that money to spend. If you don't have a flexible spending account before the, that money would have showed up in your paycheck, you would have paid state income taxes and federal income taxes, uh, social security taxes, Medicare part A tax on it. So maybe a quarter of your, that would have gone toward taxes. 
then you don't have that to spend. So uh, it's, you know, the money that would have gone to taxes is essentially free money that you always get. Now, you don't have to, you're not taking a chance. You're not going to get to spend that money. You can have control of the expenses. Do you, do you find that there's a percent, uh, a high percentage of people just aren't aware of that and they, they, bought the, the, they bought the program and that's it? And they didn't get any further into, well, if I tweak it this way, that way, or another, it would benefit them. I, th I think so. I think that uh, historically, the information on flexible spending accounts has been kind of the, uh, the poor sister, whatever that, whatever that, that cliche is, that the, uh, the information that, you know, open season is this big event and there's the big splash. And historically, there's the big splash about the FEHB programs. That's what you hear when you uh, all the, the federal media and in the older days, when we used to get lots of planned booklets and stuff, there's all the hype about the, the health plans and the dental vision plans. Everybody can kind of identify with that. They know they know they know what their dental expenses are, and they know if they uh, go get their eyes examined. You know, but flexible spending accounts kind of a little more subtle, and uh, requires a lot more education, I think. And that's OPM's been working on increasing that education, but it's just. It's not that it's a hard sell. It's kind of a hard a challenge to communicate it. Yeah. So Andrew tells us it's time for a break. And um, well, let's listen to the sponsor of the show, WEPA, and what WEPA can do for the listeners. You've heard about the wage gap, but do you know about the coverage gap? Studies show that only 47% of women have life insurance compared to 58% of men. Plus, women carry less coverage on average. Female civilian federal employees, do you need life insurance? Visit WAEPA.org today. WEPA's online tools can show you how much coverage to consider. WEPA, offering group term life insurance for feds, by feds. Visit WAEPA.org today for more. WEPA, for feds, by feds. Welcome back to For Your Benefit Radio Show. Jay, um, Jay, Ray and I were talking, and uh, I don't know if you could hear it um, uh, from your side. I think I'm back. It sounds like I'm back. So sounds, yeah, you are. Okay. And while you, while you were uh, rebooting, we had a little discussion just about the benefit of having a flexible spending account in terms of the tax savings and that getting that message across to, uh, to people. That During webinars, I try to emphasize that to people. But I think uh, it becomes it's more subtle savings because uh, in contra contrasting with health insurance, people pay the premiums, they go to the, the doctor, get whatever medical services, they get reimbursed for them. And it's all kind of very obvious to them that uh, for a flexible spending account, while well, they get reimbursed and that's obvious that kind of the savings is what is embedded in the uh, that tax savings as opposed to something nobody gives you a little notice and said, well, here's an extra $25 uh, spent toward that medical expense. Correct. So you set aside your allotment. It's pulled out of your salary pre-tax, which means you never pay any taxes. I believe under federal tax, uh, I think the FICA, you don't pay on it. So 
you know, you really use, it's really a, a discount that you know, you're not paying any type of, of taxes on that. So you're right. It's like you set aside a, a premium for health insurance, but you know, it is a tax benefit that, that, you know, it could be substantial. We were allowing people to set aside what $3,000 a year. So whatever the federal tax savings are on $3,000 a year, I think they used to look at people like it's 20% tax bracket. So yeah, it's 20% discount that you're getting for your medical services. And if, that you you add to state, anyhow. If, if you add, if there is a state tax, add another 5%. Uh, Correct. And, you know, somebody maybe with a fair number of uh, years in service, you know, they might be in a 25, 28% federal bracket plus 5%. Sorry, people, I'm an accountant, so I think like that. But right. um, if you look at the tax savings, uh, you got a benefit second to none and you get that tax benefit. Yeah, for 2023, yeah, I can do that for you, for your rate. For 2023, um, the amount that you can carry, and we've been talking primarily on healthcare, flexible spending accounts. We haven't talked a whole lot about dependent care, flexible spending accounts. So for the healthcare, flexible spending account, again, this is healthcare, uh, $100 minimum contribution, maximum contributions $3,050. Expenses must be incurred by 12-31-23, so it's for that plan year of 2023, and you must file your claims by April 30th of 2024, and again, the carryover from 2023 to 2022, and again, a reminder, you must re-enroll to take advantage of carryover is $610. Uh, The numbers for, for dependent care is minimum contribution this is per household for fs for dependent care i'm sorry for health care it's per individual but it's per household for dependent care the minimum is 100 dollars. the maximum contribution per household is five thousand expenses must be incurred by three by march 15th 2024 that's that grace period we were talking about earlier ray um but there's no carryover for dependent care you but you get the grace period you get a longer time to incur the claims. So they're, they're the minimums and maximums and, and the timelines. Right. Now, you had mentioned about having to file claims by December 31st, and that is a question that people sometimes, and an objection that people raise in class, say, well, I don't want to have to deal with all that extra paperwork of filing claims. But I know when I was uh, still uh, an employee and had a uh, flexible spending account, that you had paperless uh, claims. Could you kind paperless of explain how that operates? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, pay, yeah. So, paperless reimbursement isn't that most of our plans, not all of them, offer what we call paperless reimbursement, which means there's no uh, filing of claims. There's no paper claim filing. You just call them shoebox claims. Everyone throws their stuff in a shoebox at the end of the year. They submit all their claims. None of that. It's all done electronically. So, when I visit the doctor, my wife visits the doctor. Uh, we will then get a email from FSA Fed saying that a claim has been submitted and here's the amount that's been transferred to your bank account. So because our plan does participate in paperless reimbursement, we do nothing. It's all completely behind the scenes, all taken care of for us. Makes it a very, very enticing feature. Right. I always found that to be a big advantage that uh, I didn't have to do any paperwork and the money uh, went into the account. And I used to find it really magical that uh, sometimes I would uh, like get a prescription refill that I'd get the email that the, uh, the amount for the, the, 
what it was going to be my copay on a prescription refill had been transferred to my bank account. And I hadn't even picked up, physically picked up the refill yet. So I actually got reimbursed, not just in real time, but in advance time. Yeah, we'll see the same thing with explanation of benefits from my health insurance carrier. Yeah, I'll get the email before I even get the explanation of benefits. It's that quick. So all these different plans, I mean, some are better than others, but that's usually uh, um, um, an analysis somebody would make. Do you find that um, folks stay with the same plan maybe longer than what they should? I mean, we can't be judge and jury with that, but I, I would think that uh, not a large percent change each year, but I'd imagine the opportunities within all the different plans changes a little bit, so it might make sense to do it. But if I, if, if I was a Fed, I might be anxious about, well, you know, I've been with this uh, plan and I understand how it works. I'm not so sure I want to change and go through the, uh, I'm going to call it labor. So what would be maybe your response if you were counseling somebody? Well, there, there's <clears throat> there's some analysis to be done, but it well might be worth it, not only the quality, but the opportunities um, um, that might present themselves should something unfortunate happened to our health. So we always encourage people to take advantage of the resources that we provide during open season. Um, and I'll do our first plug for the open season website, www.opm.gov slash open season. The information will be up there by the first day of open season, hope a little bit earlier. Um, but we do encourage people to take advantage. We actually produce uh, comparison tools, our plan comparison tools for both FEHB and FedVIP, the Dental and Vision Insurance Program. Uh, www.opm.gov slash FEHB compare or opm.gov slash FedVIP compare. Go and take a look. You go in, you plug in your zip code, some information about yourself. It'll bring up all the plans that are available to you, along with some information on their benefits and co-pays and also their premiums. Uh, we always encourage people to, to do that at a minimum. Go ahead and take a look. If you want more detailed information, our website for Open Seasons has access to the FHB plan and FedBit plan brochures if you need a little bit more in-depth information. But you know, the minimum you can do is find out what's happening to your plan itself. Even if you're happy with your plan, uh, premiums increase. And we've had some, unfortunately, some larger increases this year than what we like to see. And also some plans change their benefits in order to try to stay competitive on their premiums. But, you know, at a, at a minimum, go take a look at your current plan. Is it doing something that you don't like? Uh, is it a premium? You might want to re-examine. So, but you know, we make the resources. We do a lot of work, to be honest, in preparing for open seas, and we really want the people to use all the resources we prepare and do the analysis, take a look, and and see: Are you in the best plan? Does something change in your plan? You may want to examine another plan. You may not even think you're interested in changing plans this open season until you see what benefit and rate changes have happened in your own plan. Yeah, but you've raised the point that I always try to emphasize in the uh, webinars that if you don't want to go through a whole analysis at least read the plan changes for your plan now did they suddenly drop the coverage or reduce the number of pt sessions that they're going to cover or whatever that is yeah, but at least know what it is that uh, don't assume that the uh, the benefit that was in place last year is going to continue the next year they're not you don't typically don't make wild swings in benefits but it's those little things around the margin 
and while in general the FEHB plans are all great plans, I mean that's one of the great things we ha have a choice of choosing between a great plan and a super great plan, and but sometimes that difference is just how the mix of benefits matches your particular family needs. Correct, and the plans are frequently tweaking their benefits. You're right. We don't. You're right, right. We don't do any whole swing changes, you know, or whole scale changes each year. You know, we do have certain initiatives that we're looking across the FHB program, but and plans basically have to tweak. How do they stay competitive? You know, can they keep their premium affordable? Then we have to offset, you know, a, a benefit reduction in one area uh, to avoid a premium increase in another. But you know, we have the FHB brochures now. Granted, they are overwhelming and they are large, yes. but each one of them has what we call the plan change page. And it's in each brochure where it's going to list specifically each way the benefit has changed for 2023 from 2022. So between the FHB plan comparison tool and the FedBit plan, plan comparison tools and looking at those change pages in the brochure, yeah, you, you, that's a minimum that you can do. And it's not really labor intensive to, to at least do those. But, you know, kind of back what we were saying earlier is that you know, before you decide whether you need to change plans, you need to know what your current plan is changing for 2023. And at a minimum, again, plan comparison tool in that change page in the brochure. Right. Well, and, well another thing I always point out to people, while the the brochures are, are daunting because they are so massive and detailed, they also are very stylized in that OPM has very specific specifications about the information in the brochure. So if you want to look one plan versus another plan, it's not like you have to read each one cover to cover. You can look at the specific section because that section is going to be in every single brochure. Correct. We designed the brochures that way on a standard model. And you're right, each one lines up consistently. And that's also on fee-for-service versus HMO, specifically so you can do those comparisons uh, relatively easy. Right. It so requires a little bit of work. <clears throat> For, for years, they used to have these healthcare um, fairs, if you will, and I'd imagine COVID um, probably put a stop to a lot of that. But um, do you see it being reopened? COVID did make a lot of changes in yeah. the way we do things. We used to have a health fair at OPM itself, and all the carriers in the area would come in, Fed, VIP, and also uh, FEHB. Um, the last one we had was 2019. Uh, and then, you know, with everyone moving virtual, uh, we've now kind of, we always kind of deferred to the agencies. They were responsible for running their own health fairs. I think a lot of the agencies, you know, a lot of most people working from home now, OPM only going one day a week. So I'm not aware of OPM doing a health fair. What day would you do it? Because there's so few people there because everyone's spread out one day a week over, over five days. And I imagine the other agencies are in a similar way, but you know, we tell the agencies that if they're going to do something regarding a health fair, be sure to communicate to their employees. So, you know, if you're out there, a federal employee, you know, kind of keep a, an eye out for any email from HR, anything about a health fair or open season and see what your individual agency or, or facility is doing. That I seem to recall a couple of years ago, there was an effort to have a big virtual health fair. Is that do I remember that correctly? And is that idea just kind of was a one-shot thing and didn't go anywhere? Well, there's still the one health fair that's put on, I believe, by benefits puts that on. But I think it's individual agencies choose to participate in that or not. So, again, kind of pay attention to what comes out of your HR. 
kind of the bottom line here, Ray, is if you get an email from HR regarding open season or health fair, you know, pay attention to it and read it and see what it has to say, because there's nothing across the board done for the government. It's really agency specific. So, and we really encourage our agencies to assist people with open season, uh, making, finding information, how to make their changes. So I think most agencies will send out some type of communication uh, prior to open season. So we just encourage people, you know, pay attention to it because in open season, it's a big deal. You can, you know, save yourself potentially a lot of money. So, um, you know, pay attention, go to the health fairs if they have something virtual. Do you find that people have an interest level more so, say, beginning career, mid-career, pre-retirement, do they become more focused as time goes on? Not really that I know of. I think probably as you get a little bit older, you probably pay attention more to uh, more to things like that, like saving the money. Um, younger people probably don't pay that much attention to it. They're young, they're healthy, they see themselves as being invincible. Um, I'm not going to need health insurance or something I just have just in case. So I think as you get a little bit older, you probably get a little bit, maybe a little bit wiser about things like this and kind of look for more saving opportunities for FSA feds and, you know, start thinking about, you know, your post-employment career and, you know, just, you know, kind of the general rule, if you want to continue FEHB into retirement, you have that five-year service rule. So you have to be enrolled, covered as a family member of the five years of service prior to retirement. So I think some people that have been covered under perhaps their uh, non-federally employed spouse, health insurance coverage, they start thinking, you know, this FHB sounds pretty good. I probably want to keep it for my uh, life after I've retired. So they need to start thinking about that and prepping and planning ahead because they do need to meet that five-year of service eligibility requirement. All right. I'm, I'm looking down here and we've got some questions. Um, how does the healthcare FSA carryover work? What's a carryover? So at the end of the year, whatever money you haven't used for 2022, that if it's $610 or less, it just carries over to the next year. So the money's still there for you to spend. You don't have to do anything. As long as you re-enroll, we keep having that key point. You must re-enroll for 2023. As long as you re-enroll for 2023, the unused money, $610 or less, it's just going to roll over automatically and add it on to whatever your uh, allocation is for 2023. Now, is there is there is a is there a max that somebody can carry over? Six hundred and ten dollars is the max okay. that be carried over from 2022 into 2023. Okay, but then if I didn't do anything, can I carry over that plus the current year going into the second or third year? No, no, you have okay, to read certain so. certain amounts can be carried over each year. And again, we can't emphasize this enough for FSA feds. You must re-enroll each yeah. year. Sorry, some of my questions, uh, you know, as an accountant, I figure, oh, how can we maximize this opportunity? <laughs> well, but a, but a point on that is that you can carry over the 610, but then you enroll for in 2023, another $3,050. So you could have that total of 3660 to spend in 2023, but then you're only going to be limited to whatever they carry over from 23 to 24 is. Yeah. And so you don't just keep building it up like you would in a uh, health savings account. 
Correct. And the carryover usually increases per year. And again, it's IRS rules. It's not OPM rules. So I believe carryover from 2021 to 22 was $570. It's now $610. So if I remember correctly, but it did increase. It did increase to, and usually increases each year. So do you find people pay more attention to this pre-retirement than what they did mid-career? Um. Probably again, you know, people think more about the future, what's going to happen after I retire. We talked earlier about the five year rule. People need to be sure that they have everything in alignment for continuing FEHB in retirement. So, yeah, I think they give it a little bit more, a little bit more analysis, a little bit more thought as they get closer to retirement. I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I'm pre retirement myself. So, I just need to make sure that I have everything in alignment for, uh, for the future, for the for my post OPM days. All right, Andrew says it's time for a break. So let's take a break and let the listeners know what um, um, NITP can do for them. Who do you trust when making your most important decisions? National Institute of Transition Planning has been the trusted source for federal retirement planning, serving new, mid-career, and pre-retirement federal employees for more than 30 years. NITP's subject matter experts bring more than 800 years of collective expertise on federal benefits, financial, transition, and estate planning. Visit NITPinc.com. That's NITPinc.com to sign up for their free monthly newsletter and information about free webinars. Are you at the mid-career stage of your federal career, or do you plan to retire in the next five years and wonder if you are prepared for retirement? No matter what career stage you are, it's never too early to dot the I's and cross the T's. NITP now offers online open enrollment training to help you understand your federal benefits package and financial planning options with tips and tools to plan and fine-tune your retirement planning goals. Visit NITPINC.com to download the current brochure and calendar. Okay, we're we're back on. So, Ray, when you do the webinars, um, and your subject and my subject uh, are never done at the same time, <laughs> so I never get near uh, what you talk about. But I may have asked this earlier. Sometimes um, when I'm talking about something tax-wise or, or financial, I say to myself, "Gee, I, I thought everybody knew that." Not that I'm so smart. But uh, I'm sometimes surprised that, you know, pre-retirement class that uh, people don't have a better grasp on some of this. And I, I mean, no disrespect here. It'd be like me going to a seminar on something I didn't do. I, I wouldn't know. So when, when you uh, talk with these folks, is it, uh, do you recall kind of an aha moment at the different um, webinars where you go, I thought everybody knew this? Well, I think I've gotten beyond that point after spending decades at OPM interacting with uh, employees and even people that are uh, in the HR environment and agencies that I've uh, stopped being surprised on how little some people know. And I'm sure Jay's had that experience too, that uh, you say that, isn't that, doesn't everyone know that? Isn't that obvious? But I think we, uh, you know, working at OPM, I worked in the retirement side, Jay's been working on the insurance side. We have this bubble where everybody we interact with lives this information. So what to say, well, that's common knowledge. Well, you get that out and you start talking to people that uh, are actual employees and it's not common knowledge. So pretty much uh, there's nothing that's surprising anymore, although the 
the high frequency things that people not understanding is the thing we talked about earlier, the necessity to re-enroll in FSA feds uh, every year. That people uh, because it's it's different than all the other insurance programs. So people just uh, unless that's called to their attention, they're not aware that this is a uh, a unique circumstance that requires them to actually do something again during open season and not just let it roll by. Yeah, same here, Ray. Is that you know we're I was saying not the word tainted, but <laughs> because we understand it so well and it's second nature to us that we just we fight hard not to make the assumption that other people know as much as what we do. And that's why we try to put forth the materials that we do. It's elaborate materials, uh, level of detail. And even today, we you know, kind of gone over kind of again and again about the FSA feds and the need to re-enroll and what carryover is and what you can do with it and how much you can enroll for for the, for the next year. And the fact that you point out that you can add the carryover onto what you allot for 2023. Um, we really try hard. And, and, and it's tough because you just – Kind of, you kind of assume that, well, this is basic knowledge, but it's not because we deal with it every day. But an air traffic controller doesn't deal with health insurance and dental and vision insurance and flexible spending accounts every day. And that's what we try to do is bring it down to the level that they can understand and make the right, just get the right information, make the right decision for, for, for what's best for them and their family. And again, we do put a lot of effort into trying to break this out in layman's terms. And to give some right. kudos to you, Jay, and your uh, co-workers and the insurance side of things, I mean, you do make a tremendous effort, and I, do, I think do put out a lot of really valuable information. It's, uh, I see as my job to, to help point people to where they can find that information. Correct. And we do put a lot of effort in, and, you know, we're already thinking, you know, we, this year open season hasn't even started yet. You know, at OPM, we're past this. We're thinking about next year's open season. What's going to happen in the fall of 2023 and what we can do to make things better. And, you know, how can we do information a little bit different or something we can do better, new way to, to get the word out, information out. So we're always thinking about some way, somehow, either get more information, clearer information, provide to folks. And some of these changes, if you look back just the last year, what would you say you hit a home run with it? In other words, what stood out as a change that was made last year that, wow, um, a great percent of the folks that participated took advantage of this? I can't think of anything off the top of my head that we did that would have increased participation uh, like I said, we're holding about state on FSA feds, about average on on FEHB. Some of the things that we're doing is kind of behind the scenes, things that we can do better for the agencies and their preparations. So I know we we increase the information we would give out to the agencies for the payroll providers so they can set up the appropriate withholdings and contributions for uh, the health insurance amounts. Some things we did to try to provide more information, provide some assistance to the agencies. Uh, we serve the actual en enrollees that we've been talking about today. We also serve the agencies and whatever we can do to make their jobs easier, get information to the agencies quicker. So they can do their prep work, whether it's an electronic enrollment system shows to correct information uh, for what plans are available, what options are available in 2023, or get the information to the payroll providers enough that they can get it loaded in their systems and tested before the first withholdings happen in January 2023. So a lot of things we do, uh, again, are kind of behind the scenes working with the agencies to make their lives easier, too.
So you, you've done it all and seen it all. Um, do you find that there's an appetite for the changes or to l learn more or there's, there's a certain percentage of the population that is X percent every year and doesn't vary a whole lot? Unfortunately, again, we're seeing kind of the same numbers each year. Um, but, you know, that doesn't dissuade us. We want to we want to increase those numbers. And sometimes people look and do the, the research and, yeah, my plan works for me. And, I, and I'm happy with my plan. So, you know, it's, it's kind of tough that just because only 4 to 5% change doesn't mean we haven't done a good doesn't mean we haven't done a good job. It doesn't mean we haven't provided the information that people need to do the analysis, the plan comparison tool. Ray was talking about the change page in the brochures that we haven't done a good, that we've done a good job. People have done their research and they're, they're just happy where they are. And, and I'm kind of, you know, kind of example of that myself. I'm, well, my, my plan works for me. So it doesn't mean I don't do the research and do the analysis, but I'm not going to change because again, my plan works for me. Yeah, I like to echo that too. I mean, you know, I find the plan that I've been in for a very long period of time meets my needs, but I do look at the options. I've recently moved from the Washington area to Florida, so now kind of look at different uh, different networks, different options available. But I find that I still have the flexibility to get the kind of healthcare providers that I I want in my new area. But that was a big change that uh, you know I was thinking it might lead to me to be. Might, might lead me to make a change during open season, but I don't think that's uh, going to be the case. Although I must admit that I've uh, I had a, I'm this year I'm going to enroll in dental insurance for the first time, you know, during the, uh, the, the Fed, Benefeds, uh, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. FedVIP yeah. program. Because up in Washington, I had the same dentist for 40 years and he didn't participate in any of the the dental plans, but I like the dentist and I was loyal to, to him. But now that I'm in, in a different area, I'm looking at uh, dental plans because there are dentists in this area that are will take that dental coverage. Correct. And not really related to open season, right? But if you were enrolled in an HMO in the DC area, when you move to Florida, that would be a qualifying life event that you can make that change of plans outside of open season. <laughs> So just a reminder that there are qualifying life events. Things happen outside of open season. And just want to remind people that if they have a qualifying life event, they can make changes outside of open season. That's a perfect example that you're moving. If you were in an HMO, now if you're in a fee-for-service, that's not a qualifying life event because our fee-for-service plans are nationwide. But if you're in a D.C.-based HMO, that would be an opportunity for you to change upon your move to Florida. So just, a, just another reminder wow. there. Qualifying life event sounds awful medical. So qualifying life, it, it isn't necessarily a medical issue. Correct. It's usually, I mean, the big ones are changing family status. People get married, people get divorced. One, we see people move, move from there, served by an HMO. Again, if you're in an HMO, that's a qualifying life event. So, but there are, these events happen throughout the year. And, um, you know, the people have options, things they can do with their health insurance. So just... Again, we do reminders when we have the opportunities to talk to folks. So when when um, when you put out the uh, the good words, or the, I, I'd imagine the the bigger cities are going to have more demand for the information than maybe the smaller cities. Uh, do you, do you find you get more questions from smaller population areas than you do for larger 
or is it a toss-up? It's the same percent for everybody. It's probably a toss-up. We don't at OPM. We don't interact directly with the enrollees. We rely on the agencies. That's the job of the agencies, or for retirees, retirement services at OPM. They're the ones that deal with the individuals. We don't get much direct feedback. Some people sneak through that, find their way into OPM directly, but uh, mostly it's the agency responsibility to deal with their employees, retirement services responsible to deal with our annuitants. I think Ray, when, um, you know, I, I don't go anywhere near your subject, but depending on where I go, if I go to one agency, they might understand taxes a little bit better than others. None of them particularly like talking about it, but they like, oh, yeah, you can do that. I'd imagine with health care, um, there's probably more of an interest level. Um, do you find that to be the case when you're doing your webinars? Well, I I think it's the, uh, not as much now as it was before we got so uh, everything online. I mean, in the days when ever, when there were literally millions of printed brochures and they were shipped all over the place that you'd have the uh, smaller uh, remote locations might have less access to the, the wide range of brochures but now everybody has instantaneous access online to everything i think that's uh, evened out the amount of information that's available to people that's good and you find that they take and, and take more caution or better care to look at that than they did, I would imagine, prior to this, because they have more information at their fingertips. They don't have to. They don't have to listen to something at a certain time. They can go online most any time. I actually think it's just the opposite. I think in a day when we had the uh, the benefits fairs, like uh, having at OPM as an employee, you'd have uh, all the local carriers there. And you'd go by because they all gave out trinkets. So that was the big, uh, but you go and you'd get the brochure, but they'd have a chance to talk to you and say, well, you know about our new changes. And so it might be a plan that you weren't even familiar with and you'd learn something about it. But now that it's all online, it's really, you never hear about that, uh, that other plan unless you proactively reach out to, to read the information. And, and, and you can do it 24 seven, right? Yes, like yeah. to a website, which will, why don't you give that uh, link again, Jay? Yeah, I was getting ready to do that, Ray. So just a reminder, open season, www.opm.gov slash open season. And that's your central location from there. You can link to our plan comparison tools, for both FEHB and FedVIP. We also have brochures are there. We have links for electronic enrollment systems because uh, once you make a decision, you want to change plans and well, you know, how do I do that? And there's various electronic enrollment systems that are out there depending on the agency you work for or if you're a retiree. Um, so we have information on how I now make a change. I actually want to make a change. How do I do it? And then we have links for benefits for dental and vision, also FSA feds for our flexible spending accounts. So the real big website, again, opm.gov slash open season can have all okay. the resources that you need. So and, the closest, just, be, was say, ahead, just because that says the, the web address is open season, it's available all year long because as we were just talking, uh, people have qualifying life events and they make changes during the year. So they uh, should look at that site, that website, if uh, they're going to make a change no matter when it is. 
Yeah, there's other information. Uh, theopm.gov um, for the healthcare insurance is our area. I can't remember what the URL is for healthcare insurance, but if you go to opm.gov, there's actually a drop down menu that says healthcare. You can follow that link, it'll give you other information for the FHB program around the year. The open season, I think we kind of take that offline. We'll do like a see you next year. Oh. Uh, when open season's over, oh, okay. opm.gov, and there's a drop down under insurance, and there's a link for healthcare and all the other benefit programs. If you have something going, a qualifying life event, or a new federal employee, you know, we get new federal employees come on board, you know, probably every day of the year. Um, so they can get information there on FEHB, FedVIP, and FSA Feds too. So not just open season, we provide information year round for, again, new employees, employees experiencing those, those qualifying life events. Okay, Andrew is telling us we're getting close to the finish line. So, Ray, final thoughts? Well, I just want to encourage people to actually take action during open season and ask Jay again, if you tell us what those dates are again. Uh, dates of open season this year runs from Monday, December, I'm sorry, Monday, November 14th through Monday, December the 12th. So it's always mid-November, mid-December. I'm just thinking, Ray, we had not mentioned the dates of open season. That's a good call on that one. Uh, again, Monday, November 14th, which is, I believe, what, two weeks from today? It begins, and it closes at midnight on Monday, December the 12th. And again, if you're an annuitant, just a reminder that Open Season Express and Open Season Online for annuitants will close at 8 p.m. on that last day of open season. We had a couple people last year got burned. They waited too long. They waited until the absolute last minute. It wasn't the last minute. They had closed at 8 o'clock. So just a reminder there for our new ones. All righty, gentlemen. I think we're at the 10-second um, uh, line. Andrew's saying, uh, hurry up, Bob. Anyway, thanks for both of you being on the show. Um, just that's a lot of information. I'm an outsider looking at this. I said, I wish I had these opportunities. And uh, you make uh, what would appear to me very complex understandable. So thanks. And let's do it again next year. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Have a good day. All right. Goodbye. Thank you, Andrew. Bye-bye. You've been listening to For Your Benefit, presented by NITP and sponsored by WEPA. Please tune in next Monday at 10 a.m. for a topic solely devoted to you, the federal employee. This show can also be heard on demand at federalnewsradio.com. Search For Your Benefit. Thanks for listening.